Uh, so the year is 1891. Uh, Dave Denstedt was graduating from high school, and there was this um, there was this elixir salesman. You know, one of those traveling guys that sold miracle cures from town to town, and he had developed this elixir that was good for headaches, and he was trying to market it and sell it, but turned out. He had chronic headaches himself, and it wasn't curing his headaches, so he gave up, and he met this guy, Asa Candler, and he sold him the rights to this drug uh, in 1891, and that drug is a drug that you now know as Coca-Cola. He paid $2,300 for 100% rights to Coca-Cola. Don't you wish you had known in advance some of what you know now. Wouldn't it have been great to know ahead of time how to invest? What if I told you that today I can tell you the next big thing? I can tell you for sure and give you 100% guarantee what the next gigantic payoff is going to be. Would you want that information? That if you, if you could, could come up with, say, I don't know, 100 bucks right now, that in 20 years it'd be worth billions, would you want that information? Today, as we continue this uh, study of the parables of Jesus, these stories that Jesus told to come alongside big spiritual truths that we need to know in our lives, as we continue this study, Jesus is gathering a group around him and he's going, okay, listen, I have some insider information and I'm going to give it to you today. I know something nobody else knows about the next big payoff. I can tell you where to make the next big investment because it's going to change your life forever. This is a huge opportunity. This is a huge advantage, and there's more on the line than just money. We're going to meet Jesus and this little crowd in Luke chapter 16. So if you take your Bibles and find the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, as you start your New Testament. So your Bible begins with the Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of books at the front part, and then you get to the second half of your Bible. You come to Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, and from Luke's account of Jesus' life and ministry, we're going to read this story. Luke 16, verse 1. Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. All right, we're going to stop there. So a couple things you need to point out. First of all, who is Jesus talking to? His disciples, okay? That's very, very important for us to understand because as this story goes on, you're gonna go, oh, this is evangelistic. No, it's not evangelistic. Jesus is not trying to convince people to go away from their life of sin and begin to follow Christ so they can be saved. That's not what this story is gonna be about, even though when we start to read it, you're gonna think it is. So 
It's not about that because he's speaking to his disciples. His disciples are his followers. These are the people who have already put their trust in Christ. These are the people who are following Jesus. They've walked away from their old life. They've left everything behind. They're going where he goes and they're, and they're doing what he says. They're followers of Jesus. They're his disciples, okay? And he's speaking to them and he starts to tell them about this rich man. Now, this rich man in Jesus' fictional story has a guy who works for him, it's called a manager. This manager's in charge of his business. He handles all of his business affairs, he handles his estate, he takes care of his money, his investments, uh, all of his uh, business dealings are done by this manager. And he has this manager and it turns out the guy's a crook. And so he begins to get these reports saying, hey, that guy who's in charge of all your stuff, he's, he's wasting everything. He's, he's throwing your resources out the window. And he's hearing this report again and again. And so we pick it up in verse two. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting for your management for you can no longer be a manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do. So that when I'm removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he replied, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So he gave him 50% off. Verse 7. And he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in very little, in a very little thing, is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if anyone, if any of you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? And if any of you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. And he said to, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God." Let's stop there. Okay, this is directed at his disciples. And this is generally considered the weirdest of Jesus' parables. I don't know what you thought when you read this, but I'll tell you what I thought. I thought when it comes time for me to preach on the parables, I'm letting Pastor Dave do this one. That's what I thought. <laughs> because... This is bizarre. You have this guy who is established right at the beginning. He's a crook. He's an unfaithful steward. 
he, he's, been a, he's been a bad manager of what he's been put in, in charge of. And when he finds out he's about to lose his job, he uses his last day on the job to call in the people that owe money to his boss and to write off their debts or write down their debts. And you think the next verse is going to say, and the master found out about this and took a shotgun and blew this idiot away. That's the way it would be if I told the story. But Jesus, in verse 8, I think it is, he says, the master praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. And so you go, what in the world is going on here? Is this guy being commended for his dishonesty? Is Jesus telling us this story so that we will become dishonest in business? Is that the point? Actually, he's not being commended for his dishonesty. If you look closely, he's being commended for his shrewdness. He's being commended for how wisely he acted under the circumstances. Look what he did. He gets word, you're not going to be able to be the manager anymore, and he immediately thinks, I'm going to be destitute. What am I going to do? I'm going to need some friends on my side. So he calls in the debtors one by one, and he goes, hey, write down your debt. You write down your debt. You write down your debt. And one after another, he just writes down everybody's debt. He goes, listen, it's just I'm just doing this as a favor. You, you owe 100 measures, just make it 50. You owe 100, just make it 80. Don't worry about it. And these guys are going, wow, thank you. Man, you're awesome. If ever I can do anything for you. And he's like, actually, I'll let you know. He's shrewd. He's not being commended for his dishonesty. He's being held up as an example of somebody who realized that things were about to change dramatically, that time was running out where he was, and that he was about to lose what he had. And so he made an investment in the future. Now remember, this is a message to Jesus' followers. We're going to keep talking about that. But did you notice who else was listening? Look at verse 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. By this point, we're now in Luke chapter 16. By this point, we're just a, a matter of days away from the triumphal entry. In just a little while, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey to cheering crowds. Only a few days are going to pass, and they're going to be calling for his life, and they're going to hang him on a cross, and he's going to die. I mean, these are the last days of Jesus' life. Things are beginning to wind down. By this point, the Pharisees have made up their mind about this rabbi. By this point, they have decided he's not one of us. By this point, they have been humiliated enough by him. By this point, they are looking for reasons to arrest him. They're looking for reasons to put him to death. If they lived in our day and age, they would have been going around listening to all these things he was saying, and they would have had their cell phones out recording this because they're looking for evidence against him so they can accuse him, so they could put him to death, so they can get rid of him because he's a threat to them, and they're not going to stand for it. And so he's on his way to Calvary. These guys by now are always there. They're always listening. Whenever Jesus is in public, there are Pharisees and scribes who are dispatched to listen in on what he says, take notes, because we're going to use this against him when we arrest him. And so Jesus had a point to make to them too, and I bet, I bet Jesus loved it. 
when he got to sort of make the point that this sinful manager was more to be praised than these religious stuff shirts who thought they were so good. So what's Jesus trying to say to us? How about this for starters? Where you are now is not where you will always be. Things are going to change. And Jesus is saying, if you're smart, you will plan for the future that is coming and not assume that things are always going to be the way they have always been. That, that uh, you don't need to just plan your life up until the point that you die, but that you need to plan to be on death. Think about this. We all know somebody, some of us probably are that somebody, who just failed to prepare for retirement. What, for whatever reason, they just never felt like they had enough money to save. They never, they never invested in anything. They, they just, um, they always felt like, you know, maybe next year I'll start saving and the years t- ticked away and, and they had some failed business attempts and, and they lost more than they made and, and now they're 65, 70, 75 and, you, and you're going, they're going to work till they die because there, there's no money for retirement, Right. We've all seen people like that. Some of us might be people like that. And we've also probably seen people who are just incredibly diligent about this whole retirement thing. That from the time they got their first paycheck, they've been having a large percentage taken out and put into an investment. They max out their 401k every year. Their IRA is where it needs to be. They have separate savings account and emergency fund. They live below their means. They don't live uh, on as much as they make because they know the day is coming when I'm not going to have a paycheck and I want to live well when I don't have a paycheck. And so some of us know people who are at that point now where they're in retirement and they're traveling and they're seeing the country and they're spending time doing the things they want to do because they were really wise, because they were really shrewd, because they saved and made investments and did the right thing. And Jesus is telling us that while the second guy is smarter than the first guy, there's a third guy who's smarter than the second guy. And that guy knows that death is not the end. He knows that he needs to live his life in such a way that he prepares not just to live until he dies, but that he prepares for the day after he dies. And so there's this message I'm going to be trying to get through to you again and again and again today. And the message is simply this, death is not the end. We have to get past this thinking that says, I just got to make it until I die. If I could just just hang in there until I die, everything will be fine. Jesus is constantly making that point. Yes, the day is coming when my heart is going to stop beating. The day is coming when the funeral I'm attending will be my own, right? That day is coming, but that day is not coming. The end. This life on earth is short and temporary. But what happens after your heart stops is what life is really all about. So this dishonest manager in Jesus' story understood that his position was temporary. He had the advantage of being told, I'm going to remove you as the manager. And so before that happened, while he knew it was coming, it was just around the corner, he said, I better do what I can to prepare for what is coming. 
So, so let me give you a piece of news that is absolutely sure to brighten your day. You're about to die. You're about to die. It, it may not be today, although it could be. It may not be tomorrow, but it could be. But let me tell you something. It is soon. And, and it's actually today is one day closer than it was yesterday. I'm 54 years old. It feels like yesterday when I was in high school. Can I get an amen from any other old farts? Yep. <laughs> right? Yesterday. It feels like 15 minutes ago when my children were toddlers. And now my grandchildren are toddlers. Like, it goes by fast. And I'm not trying to predict anything, and I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm pretty sure that I am closer to the grave than I am to the cradle at this point, right? And by the way, you might be 25 and feeling alive, but I got news for you. Tomorrow's not promised to you either. And, and, and we should remember that every time we attend a funeral, this life is short. Every time we hear about somebody who passed, every time we turn on the news and we find out that there was another terrible accident, there was another fire, there was another school shooting, there was another whatever, and people who thought they were going into that day like any other day never came home that day. And, and so I'm not being... I'm not being dramatic, I'm not being morbid, I'm just being realistic. The truth of the matter is, you are dying. Probably sooner than your mind realizes. Jesus understands that this season of life is temporary and eternity is forever. And, and he always is trying to tell people to live life not for this brief time on earth, but to live life for the life to come. And he's basically saying, again, who is he talking to? His disciples. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have heaven secured, people who have already entered into a saving relationship with Jesus. He's talking to people who are followers of Christ. This is not an evangelistic message where he's trying to say to people who haven't yet made a decision for Christ, hey, come on, it's time to give your life to Christ because if you don't, you could die tomorrow and maybe you won't make it to heaven. He's talking to, to people who are going to heaven. They're in a relationship with God. They're, they're set free from their sin through their relationship with Jesus. And he's saying to those people, please, please, don't tell me that you're living for this brief moment on earth. Please don't tell me that you are planning your life so that you have enough resources to make it until the day you die. Please don't tell me that you're living as though death is the end. We need to be using every moment that we have on earth to invest in eternity. We need to be using our talents and our gifts and our resources in a way that prepares us for eternity. We're not going to be here 
that much longer. Death is not the end. And I'm thinking, how do I illustrate this? And I came up with this. Remember these? (laughs) Any of you still got some of these at home? I have a bunch I'd like to sell. If anybody wants to buy any of these, I I have more of these. (laughs) Some of you are young, you're like, what is he holding up? What is that thing? I don't know what that thing is. I have these. I even have some uh, cassette tapes if you need those. I got some 8-tracks. Who knows? It might come back. Vinyl albums came back. You never know. Remember when in your wallet you had a Blockbuster card? Remember that? Remember when he said, hey, let's watch a movie tonight? That meant somebody was going to go to Blockbuster and was going to stand and look through the aisles and pick one out, and you were going to bring it home and put it in your VCR, and you're going to watch a movie. Guys, that was not very long ago, right? But these, I, I just pulled this out of my office. I got two dozen VHS tapes in my office. Why have I not thrown these things away? I don't know anyone with a VCR. Who am I gonna, how am I gonna watch these things? Right, Dave, Dave and Marge just got one, they're excited. They used to have this reel-to-reel thing, but now, so I started thinking about this. The first time I went to Zimbabwe in Africa, um, I remember that uh, I came into the airport and I, and I went into town, and there's a little town there, and um, there's these guys, Zimbabwean nationals, who were on the streets trying to sell stuff, you know? And, and I walked up, and you know what they were selling? Money. It, it, they were selling Zimbabwean currency. And you could buy, literally, you could buy from these guys a trillion-dollar bill. And do you know why they had trillion-dollar bills? Because the, um, the, the economy had tanked so fast and inflation had happened so fast that their money just wasn't worth anything. They had to start printing instead of $100 bills, $1,000 bills, and instead of $1,000 bills, million-dollar bills, instead of million-dollar bills, trillion-dollar bills, and they literally have these money with so many zeros on it, you go, I don't even know what this is. What is this? And you could buy a trillion-dollar bill for a quarter. Because those trillion dollar bills were no longer worth anything because the economy had crashed so badly that Zimbabwe had decided they were gonna replace their currency with the US dollar. And so the US dollar was live currency at that time. Since then, the economy has crashed again. They've done away with the dollar. And now if you try to do business in Zimbabwe, you, you better have something to trade because nobody knows what to use for money. See, if somebody could have told those guys, hey, the, the economy is about to crash, you should probably trade in your Zimbabwean currency for American dollars. Man, wouldn't that have been a good piece of information to have? And Jesus is trying to get us to see that this is how it is in eternity. Do you know what has value in eternity? God and people. God and people. Gold is so useless in heaven that apparently they paved the streets with it. 
And this manager in Jesus' story, he may have been dishonest, but at least he knew what to invest in. Once he realized that he was about to undergo this change, he invested in relationships. And Jesus, telling the story as the narrator of the story, says he was wise to do so. He's commended, not for cheating his boss. Actually, it's kind of interesting. At first glance, you go, this guy is ripping off his boss. Most commentators don't think he was probably ripping off his boss at all. But the way the economy worked in those days is if you worked for somebody and you were selling something on their behalf, uh, he, he, he gave you a wholesale price. You could create the retail price, sell it for whatever you were going to, and you kept the profit. So, so there's a chance that all he was doing here was going, look, I need some friends, so I'm going to take my commission out of this, which I'm never going to see anyway, and I'm going to give back the commission, because he didn't write it off altogether, right? He just wrote, wrote it down. So probably he was just giving up his commission, but it doesn't matter. He's a fictional character. He's not a real guy. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is this. Knowing that things were about to change, he went to great lengths to create relationships that would carry him through the future. And he was commended for wisely investing in those relationships that would be so valuable to him in the future. Now listen, I am all for nice things. I am very thankful that God has blessed us all and we, many of us have very nice homes and many of us have nice dependable cars and many of us have nice clothing and all that. I'm not against any of that kind of stuff. I just want to say though that your BMW has no value in heaven and neither does your house and neither does your career and neither does your fame and reputation, none of those things have value in heaven. In fact, Jesus, the only one who really knows from experience what heaven is like, when asked what's the most important stuff for us to know, he said this, love God and love people. He said, you can boil the rest of it down and can throw it all out if you just love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, you will be fine because that's what has eternal significance. And Jesus is trying to get us to change our perspective so that we will realize the situation we're in right now is running out quickly and there's going to come a day when only what's eternal will matter. And most of us just don't see it. Death is not the end. And if you want to be prepared for what is to come, make your life about loving God and loving people. So how are you doing with that? I, I implore you, church, don't take this lightly. Too many of us have heard the gospel and we have invited Jesus into our hearts because someone said to us, listen, if you have Jesus, you get to go to heaven. And if you don't have Jesus, you go to hell. And we went, hmm, let me think about that. I think I pick heaven, right? And so we've invited Jesus into our hearts, which is even just a phrase that like makes me lose my mind a little bit as if Jesus is going, man, I just can't wait to get into your life. Because actually, Jesus is inviting us into his life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no life apart from him, right? So don't get this idea that it's a matter of, I prayed this prayer, so I invited Jesus into my life, and now I have heaven, and I don't have to worry about hell. 
Too many of us have heard that and gotten the wrong idea because we want to go to heaven. We don't want to go to hell. But over and over again, Jesus tells us heaven is not like what we think. I'm afraid that most of us have gotten our theology of heaven, not from the Bible, but from Saturday morning cartoons, right? Remember what happens when the rock drops on the coyote's head and then he just floats up into the sky and he gets a cloud and a harp, right? And, and that's just how it works. And then you get up to heaven and they've all got clouds and harps and everybody gets a cloud and everybody gets a harp. And the fact that you don't know how to play the harp is not a problem, right? You're going to have eternity to figure this out. You're going to enjoy life on the cloud and on the harp. It's going to be great. Or maybe you have this picture of heaven that's like, okay, there's this wooden pew and uh, it's a really huge, like big enough to hold the whole world. And everybody's on this pew and everybody's got a hymnal that goes on forever. And you're singing hymn number two million. And then you sing hymn number two million and one. And you just keep singing these hymns. And you're thinking, well, it's better than hell, but only in terms of temperature, <laughs> right? If th- is that heaven? Or, or you think, you know, in heaven, it's just like, Laying in a hammock with a drink with, a, with an umbrella in it, right? Just, just rest, relaxation, you don't have to do anything. Does it, has it ever struck you when you picture heaven that way that God consistently condemns laziness in the Bible? Do you think his idea would be laziness for eternity? That's your reward? Where are these ideas about heaven? I'm like, where do we get this stuff? That is not heaven, The Bible talks about heaven a lot. And yes, a lot of what the Bible says about heaven is kind of symbolic and obscure and esoteric and it's not really clear what exactly does this mean. We don't have an absolutely clear picture of everything about heaven, but there are some things about heaven we absolutely know from Scripture. One of those things is this. There is a reward system in heaven Everybody doesn't get the same cloud and the same harp. There is a reward system in heaven. There is a hierarchy of authority among people in heaven. There are those who rule over cities. There are those who rule over multiple cities. There are those who rule with Jesus on the earth. There's there's all of this talk of crowns and thrones, not just for God, but for us. And so there's this picture of this reward system, this hierarchy. Let me give you just a small taste of what the Bible says. What I've done is I've narrowed down from probably 200 passages to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven or eight passages. We're going to go through them quick. You don't even have to look them up with me. I'll put them on the screen. You can write them down in your notes and read them later. But let me just read you some passages. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 16. I'm just looking for stuff where it's very clear about this. What is heaven going to be like? Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Listen to this. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will then repay every man according to his deeds. When Jesus returns, there's going to come a time in which he is going to repay us according to our works. This isn't just, do you get to heaven or not get to heaven? This is those of us who are granted eternal life. He's going to repay us according to our deeds. Flip back to Matthew chapter 5, 
And in Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount, verse 12, he's talking about people who get persecuted because they're followers of Christ. And here's what he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's saying to those who are, who are being persecuted, who are being tortured, who are being imprisoned, who are being killed, listen, I know this is hard, but this is temporary. It's just for a moment. If you hold on to your faith, you will be rewarded greatly in heaven. Verse uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We just flip over there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. Listen to this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Have you been taught that if you're a Christian, you will never have to stand before judgment? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about two different judgments that happen in the last days. The first one is called the great white throne judgment. And the great white throne judgment, the only thing you're judged on is whether or not you're, you were, uh, belong to Jesus Christ. Whether or not your sins were washed away by grace through faith. Whether you're a follower of Christ and the followers of Christ will be granted eternal life. And those who are not will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's the great white throne judgment. But then there's this other judgment that is talked about again and again and again where we all stand before God and all of us give an account for our lives on earth, our deeds, how we live them, and we will be rewarded according to our works. Doesn't mean you will be saved because of your works. These are for people who are already saved by the grace of God. You'll be rewarded for your works. Then we go to the book of Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, verse uh, 21, Revelation 22, not 21, Revelation 22, 12. And here's what it says, Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Matthew again, chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, verse 21, this is what Jesus has to say. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Paul writes about this in his letters to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Listen to what Paul says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be, concerned, uh, to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed." He's saying there is, there is a definition of life that we have in our head that says until my heart stops beating on this earth, but he says there is an actual life that is life indeed, and it's in the future, and you need to be storing up treasures for the future, and how do you do that? Through your generosity and your good deeds and your kindness and living like Jesus. 
Last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes this. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So these, these are both going to be saved, but one is going to be rewarded because of his works. Now, this is not what you hear me talking about very much. This is not what you hear evangelical pastors talking about very much because the last thing we want is for people to get the idea that somehow you get to God by being good, that if you do enough good works, somehow God will go, you're good enough. It doesn't work that way for any of us. It's 100% by grace. None of us is good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. But when you're under the blood of Christ and your sins have been washed away and God looks upon his goodness for your eternal life, there is a reward system. And do I understand it? No. Do, do I know the details of how this really works in heaven? No, I don't. But I can tell you this, we will not all be rewarded the same way in heaven. And a big factor in how we'll be rewarded has to do with how we live on earth. Whether we stored up treasures on earth or whether we stored up treasures in heaven. So if you're living as if death is the end of the story, you have been terribly deceived. And you need to follow the example of this dishonest manager who at least had the wherewithal to say, I better stop living as though things are always going to be the way they are now. I need to stop valuing the things that I have been valuing so far, and I need to start living for things that will matter in the future. You wish you would have invested in Microsoft. Jesus has gathered us together today and given us the ultimate insider tip. You need to invest in eternity. So let me just ask it to you this way. Maybe you can remember it this way. What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. The clock is ticking. Every wasted moment is a moment we never get back. So how are you investing your life? To what have you given your heart? Where have you placed your hope how are you using God's resources? Because after all, I mean, just think about it, where you sit, how much time do you figure you have left? 50 years? Some of you are going, dear God, I hope not. <laughs> 20 years? Five years? 15 minutes? I thought so much about hiring an actor to fake a heart attack right now, just drop dead right in front of us all, and we all go, oh man, I better take this seriously. Tomorrow's not promised. If you're in Christ, eternity is. How are you spending your time on earth? What have I been saying over and over again? Death 
is not the end. According to Jesus, for those of us who love him, death is a passageway into that which is life indeed. And if the Lord finds you today as one who maybe has not been as faithful a manager as you ought to have been, maybe you, you have been just so distracted by the life you're trying to build here and, and nobody, nobody's bashing you for that. I, I mean, I get it. We have, we have families and careers and we have to manage our health and our finances and all, all these practical things. These are stewardships. They're not bad things. But when we live as though that's what matters most, we missed the point. I wonder what changes need to take place in your life right now because you've come to value eternity thing, uh, the eternal things over the temporary. Whatever those changes might be, don't wait. You've been given a glimpse in advance from the only one who knows how this really all works out. The only one who actually has proven his love for you, who has proven his trustworthiness for you so much that he laid down his very life on a hill called Calvary that he hung on a cross and bled and died to pay the price for your sin. See, when you're, when you're hearing conflicting stories and we hear all these stories in the world about what really matters most, you have to really stop and go, who can I trust here? Who obviously has my best interest at heart? Guys, there's nobody who's proven himself more than Jesus Christ. Nobody who's proven himself more than a God who leaves the throne of heaven and says, I see you in your mess. I see you in your sin. I see you in this filth that you've been wallowing in and calling it life. And I have come to give you that which is life indeed. And I'll pay any price. And he dies on a cross and is raised on the third day, defeating sin for you, defeating death for you. Can we trust him about what heaven's really all about? about what we're really gonna value in the end. Jesus has done so much to show himself trustworthy. And I thought maybe the best way for us to conclude today's service is for us to just celebrate together the trustworthiness of Christ. Celebrate together the goodness of Christ. To celebrate together what he has done for us. How he has died to set us free. How he gathered his disciples together on that last night. And he said, listen guys, everything's about to change. It's not gonna be the way it used to be because tomorrow I'm gonna hang on a cross. And, and they're gonna take me away from you. And I'm gonna lay down my life to set you free from your sin. And so he said, I don't ever want you to forget this. And to my followers over the ages, I don't ever want them to forget this. So everyone who's a follower of mine for all of the ages, whenever you do this, I want you to remember me. Remember what I have done to give you life and that abundantly. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat, all of you. And he took the wine and he poured it out and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. It's not about your works, it's about my grace. It puts you in a position to receive the reward. Take it and drink, all of you. And as often as you do this, in the days to come, remember me 
because the day's coming when I am coming back and we'll do this together in my Father's house. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. And so as the ushers come forward, they're gonna bring you some plates. They've got some uh, crackers. Just take a, take a cracker, take a little cup of juice. The bread reminds us of his body, which was broken for us. The juice reminds us of his blood, which was shed for us. And maybe now would be the perfect time for you to just settle your heart before the Lord, to thank him for all that he's done, to decide together with him that it's gonna be about eternity and not about temporary stuff from this point forward. And if you're here today visiting and you're trying to figure out all this Christianity stuff and you're thinking, I don't understand what this bread and juice has to do with anything, that's okay. I totally get that you don't understand. It doesn't have meaning to you because it's symbolic. And, but those of us who have passed out of death into life by faith, it means everything to us. So if you're here visiting with us and, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, listen, I'm thrilled you're here. Keep coming back. But because this means nothing to you, you're going to want to just pass it to the next person. It doesn't have significance to you. But to those of us who've been washed in the blood of Christ, it means everything. And so maybe somebody here today is going, yeah, I see what's coming. And I need to be ushered from death into life. You know how that works? You just confess your sin to him. It's not a public thing. You don't have to stand up and say, hey, everybody, I'm the scum of the earth. You just talk to Jesus. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe that you died to set me free from my sin. And Lord, I choose life. I choose you. I want to be your follower. I want to be your child. So wash me clean. Set me free. And from this day forward, I'll give my whole life to follow you. And the scripture says that if by faith you make that decision, he gives you new life and the reward of heaven. And you can take that cracker and that juice and it will have more meaning to you than anything you've ever put in your mouth before. Let's take a moment as we just prepare our hearts. I want to give you a moment to just bow your head where you are. Just get your heart right with the Lord. Father, as we partake now of this bread and this juice, we're reminded that your love for us is so great that you would let nothing stand in the way, not even our sin, not even our rebellion. You sent your son. And Jesus, you laid down your life for us to set us free. And so now, Father, as we partake of the bread and the wine, may you be glorified as we celebrate that which is life indeed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead.